Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares shares timeless wisdom from Proverbs. If you restrain your, your words, that's a smart thing to do, but you got to have a cool spirit to do that. That's a man of understanding because they go together. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if your emotions are all over the map, if you're dying to hear the latest gossip, well, then you're going to be sharing the latest gossip. So it's about the, the control, the management, the restraint of your emotions. Your heart has to be restrained. There are dozens of Bible verses that warn us about the danger of an untamed tongue. The Bible calls it a restless evil, full of deadly poison, and compares our unwise words to a fire that sets a whole forest ablaze. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares explains the connection between our emotions and the words that spill out of our mouths. And now let's open up to Proverbs 73 as Pastor Mike continues a message titled, Managing Your Emotions and Taming Your Tongue. Now, there's not a, any question, if you're going to write a book about wisdom, you'd better spend a lot of those uh, proverbs speaking about how we talk and what we say and what's appropriate and what's not. And uh, that's what we find in the 31-chapter book called Proverbs. We find, and I counted these myself, 177, uh, about 170 to 177 proverbs, some are iffy, on what um, the, the wisdom of God is about how you and I should speak. See, the first conviction, even for the most holy among us, if you were to stand in God's presence for a while, would probably be, without a doubt, it would certainly include your conviction over the way you use your words. Now, I know this can be discouraging because we can say, well, I can never be successful in this completely. I mean, if I'm really pouring out a 500-page tome every week of the things that I say, well, I, clearly, you're going to have to highlight things every week, and, and there'll be errors and things that I shouldn't say and that's true. I, 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 I often say it, but I, I know that we are concerned that we can't be sinless, but we can sin less. And that's the goal when it comes to our words. So as you feel some conviction, because we need to spend time, what are the areas where, that make our lips unclean, that we say that are not right? I want you to wholeheartedly repent of, quote-unquote, unclean lips, of words that are less than what they should be. Even if you think, wow, I can't imagine not doing that, well, we're going we're gonna to see if we can come up with some strategies in Proverbs that will help us to curtail those unclean statements and phrases. So let's start. Let's start with a word that I know we don't want to qualify for, but when we define it, we start to see, well, yeah, that is probably a part of everyone's conversation, chapter 10, and I want to turn there. We'll stay in Proverbs, verse 18. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Let's just think about that for a second. Conceals hatred. It, it, there's a, you got all the people in your life that you interact with. There are people on that list that you don't like. There are things that you do that, 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 that conceal that because that wouldn't be appropriate. But there's another outlet for it. Look at the next phrase here that most of us fall into. Whoever utters slander uh, is a fool. Here's what slander is. When we embellish enhance or speculate, I know that's a lot to write down, when we embellish, enhance, or speculate about the bad 
in the life of someone I don't like. But then when we turn the conversation to ourselves, there's another kind of lying that takes place. Proverbs chapter 27 says, let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Don't even get in the habit of talking about your own victories, because when you do, the natural tendency is to enhance them, and the word that we got introduced to in verse number one, which we haven't read yet, is the word you should circle. It's the third word in verse number one, and it is the thing that we should never do. Do not what? Boast. See, that's the enhancement. It's putting the magnifying glass on the good in my life and making it sound just a little bit bigger and a little bit better than it actually is. It's boasting. So if embellishing, enhancing, and speculating about the bad and the rival is a tendency of human beings when we speak about our, our rival or our enemy, then when we talk about ourselves, our tendency is to speculate or enhance or embellish the things that are good in us. Okay, well, that's when I speak bad about someone I don't like and good about me. But there is a time, and it's equally as sinful, when I speak good about someone that I don't really sincerely have good words to say about. That's called flattery. It's in the last verse of chapter 26. It's right above where we're reading. Look at that verse. It says this in Proverbs 26, 28. It says, a lying tongue hates its victims, right? I don't tell the truth. There's something fueling that. It's not about them. It's a disregard for them. It's really about us. Here's the parallelism. A flattering mouth, circle that, it, it works ruin. It's not about your good when I give you that insincere praise. It's, it's about my good. So I got slander. That's when I embellish and enhance bad in the person I don't like. Then I've got boasting when I embellish and enhance the good in my life. And then there's times at work, you know, in circles at church, in our neighborhood, where I'm going to enhance something in you insincerely for my advantage. That's what flattery is. There's another kind of talk that Proverbs is really down on, and it's hard because it's so prevalent among us today, but would you turn to chapter 18 and take a look at it here in chapter 18, verse 8, verse 8, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. <laughs> when you share your juicy prayer request, I mean, when you gossip, see, people, it, it's like passing out cubes of fudge. People love it. They feed on it. Let's be, uh, let's be done with sticking our nose in business that we don't have any interest in. Is there time to pray? Absolutely. Time to seek help? Sure. But you know what I'm talking about. There's a line to be drawn between gossip and real Christian intervention in people's lives. Now, again, as I said, we could spend all day talking about things that Proverbs points out that we need to deal with, but let me just pick one more, and, and I had to pick a few things that I thought, you know, would, would if, that, if, if that's your stumbling block gossip, maybe this one isn't, so I picked one that seemed on, on, on the other end of the spectrum. Turn with me to, to 26, chapter 26, Proverbs 26. There's a kind of person that when they talk, they're... Uh, they're always trying to be funny. You know that person, right? Talking about the guy who's always going around joking. There's a kind of need in a jokester's repertoire that ends up making him like, in the eyes of, of God, a madman. 26.18, he's like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. That doesn't sound like a guy you want to hang out with, right? 
Now you do kind of because he's a funny guy, but the problem is his, in his joking, there's, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of deception. Careless humor is something that does a lot of damage in any circle, any office, any home, any neighborhood, any church. And we've got to be careful to rein that all in. And if you've had the experience of really doing some damage with your humor, it's time for you to realize, yeah, we need to confess and forsake those things. And it's not a wholesale slam on, on, on comedy. It's just that you and I know what we're talking about when, as in Ephesians 5, there's a kind of foolishness and, and coarse or crude joking that ends up hurting people. It's at someone's expense. Lying, flattery, boasting, slander, gossip, humor, careless humor. God is good to forgive us. That's the good news. There's cleansing. There's restoration. But it means that you take words to God. Don't just shrug your shoulders and assume, well, God's a loving God. He'll forgive me. He wants to hear your apology, and that's a good place to start. Now, we spent most of our time on this. We need to wholeheartedly repent of unclean lips. And if we've done that, that's a lot of heavy lifting. That's good. But if we're going to redact, or at least, let's say, in, in the authoring of our, our, our next week's volume, if we're going to make some progress in having less to repent of next week, we need some strategies to help us. Three strategies, points two, three, and four on your outline. Let's spend the rest of our time briefly looking at three ways where you can have less sin coming from your mouth this week, okay? And to get that, let's start in chapter 10, verse 19. Proverbs 10, 19 says this. It says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. You're bound to step over the line, right? Whether it's in your flattery, in your joking, in your deception, in your boasting, in your comedy, you're bound to transgress. You're, brown, you're bound to go out of bounds when words are many, but whoever restrains his lips, well, oh, that, that guy's prudent, smart. Why? Because his goal is not to have to see sinful things in his life multiply. He wants less sin. And if he wants less sin, then he needs to speak less when it comes to sinful words. Right? Speak less and you'll sin less. I put it this way. Number two, we need to regularly right, bite our tongues. Regularly bite your tongue. And that's a, you know, obviously an idiomatic way to put it. But it wouldn't hurt for you to clamp your teeth down in your tongue every now and then just to remind your tongue, right? <laughs> Listen, don't do it. I'm in charge. I need restraint. Settle down. I mean, that's how James puts it. James 3 says it's like an untamed animal, and it can't be bridled, but we need to work on it. We need to bridle it. We need, with God's help, to do less damage with our words. And the only way that we can, in the most basic way, I should say, that we can do that is to restrain the volume of our words. So let's just say this. If this is the average uh, 154,000 words we speak every week, let's see if we can get it down to maybe 100. And I guarantee you we're going to leave out a lot of sin that we would have spoke with the extra 50,000 words. Let's just speak less. There's a lot of advantages to saying less. But here's the problem with all this. I can say, say less, say less, say less, and it's never going to do any good for you unless you realize the connection between your heart and your mouth. Because if you say, okay, I'm going to try to control my words, and you don't control your emotions, see, then your words are just going to follow your emotions. Does that sound biblical? Matthew 12, Jesus talked about that. He said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's going on in your heart, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. Maybe the pang of conviction, and I didn't even mention it for you, is angry outbursts. James talks, or uh, Galatians talks about the fruit of the flesh, and an angry outburst. 
Well, the only reason you're having angry outbursts is because your, your spirit is bubbling over with anger. So if I'm going to control my mouth, I've got to recognize I've got to control my heart. Or to put it in the words that we've talked about here, if you're going to restrain your words and speak less, then you're going to have to have a spirit that is restrained. A couple verses on this that are great to see. You're already in 28, or 1728. Look at 1727. Just the verse right in front of it. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And here's the deeper truth. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding, and that's not Fonzie cool, right? That's, that's, you, you're not hot-tempered. You're not, you're not an angry man. Your spirit is, is under control. So if you restrain your, your words, that's a smart thing to do, but you've got to have a cool spirit to do that. That's a man of understanding because they go together. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if your emotions are all over the map, if you're dying to hear the latest gossip, well, then you're going to be sharing the latest gossip. And if your heart is, is filled with anger, well, you're going to have angry outbursts. If your heart is filled with pride, then you're going to embellish the good in your life. If your heart is f- filled with hatred, then you are going to slander people this week. It's going to happen. So it's about the, the control, the management, the restraint of your emotions. Your heart has to be restrained. Look at the chapter just ahead of it, chapter 1632, right across the page. 1632 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules, this is a great phrase to bracket off, rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Now, in the ancient Mesopotamian culture, you can take a, uh, take a city, you're a warrior, you're a hero, it's the, you know, it's the hero of the day, the celebrity of the day. Now, it's great if you're, you're a, a masterful fighter and a warrior and a leader and you can do that, but it's nothing. I mean, you can subject a city, but it's nothing like subjecting your spirit. That's the real hero. You're better. That's the real battle that goes on. So we've got to deal with that. We've got to understand that. It's about our, our spirit. Is it filled with hate? Is it filled with greed? Is it filled with hubris? Is it filled with, 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 with anger, with, with gossip? We, we've, got to, we've got to work on this. I've got to show you this one. It's right next door, 1518. 1518. If you don't control your spirit, I guarantee it'll bubble over. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, 1518. But he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Why? Why should my temperature in my spirit have anything to do with the contention? Because the temperature of your spirit will always determine the nature of your words. All right. Regularly bite your tongue. That's strategy number one. Strategy number two. Turn with me to chapter 18. Chapter 18. This is a truth we often miss when we constantly look at the damage our words do, and then you get the pastor who says, hey, you got to restrain it all. And that's important. It's biblical. you got to restrain it. But there's another strategy that will help us come up with a, a, a much better set of 500 transcribed words from our, our mouth this week. It's found here in verse 21, or at least it's implied here. It, it opens the door to it in verse 21. This is Proverbs 18, 21. Are your eyeballs on that one? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. There will be consequences. And all we've kind of talked about so far is negative consequences. Be held accountable. It'll do damage. It's not good. You shouldn't do it. We've looked at the death words. But the great thing about the first phrase in verse 21 is there are also life words. And if there are life words, I know this. I can take my words and replace or exchange them, and the more I purposefully, thoughtfully, 
engage in more life words, I got less opportunity for death words. Because I can't at the same time do things that are unclean before God with my mouth and do things that are clean before God with my mouth. I can't do them both at the same time. So the more I can engage my mouth when I speak in things that are positive, things that are biblical, things that are virtuous, things that are godly, things that are good, then I'm already going to start to reduce the amount of unclean phrases and words in my vocabulary. I put it this way, number three, we need to harness the power of words for good. That needs to be our slogan, our theme, our, our, our goal, our vision. I want to harness the power of my mouth to do something good. I want to get excited about the good I can do with my words. One verse on this, 1218. 1218, there is one whose rash words are like thrusts of a sword. Well, there's eating the fruit of it. You're going to see a lot of damage with unguarded words, and there's power, the power of death in your mouth. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, this is all an analogy. When you say certain kinds of things, they tear down, they injure, they hurt, and then there are things that do the opposite of hurt, they heal. Whatever that bad is done, it's the opposite of that. And if I could say I'm going to focus on that and I'm going to do less of this when I focus on that, then, then I'm going to come a long way in reforming the words of my mouth. Healing, let's just use a, a biblical word, and, and, and that's the word encouragement. Let's just, if you're taking notes, jot that one down. I want to aim at encouragement with my words. That is the opposite of so much of the bad that comes out of my mouth, like slander, uh, boasting, or, or gossip, to, to be an encourager. The biblical phrase that kind of goes behind it is that we need to build one another up. We hear that a lot. It's the word edify in the Greek language. To edify, it's translated that literally, to build, to build up. I tear down with my words. I want to build up with my words. And nobody is better at this than Joseph in the New Testament. And I don't mean Mary's husband. His name is Joseph, but you know him as Bar-Nabas. Bar-Nabas. Who's that? Barnabas. Bar means son of, Nabas, encouragement. He was called the son of encouragement. He's the son of encouragement. If you know anything about Barnabas, and if not, I encourage you to go home and do a homework assignment on him. We meet him first in Joseph in, in uh, Acts 9. Acts 9, uh, Saul's been knocked off his horse. He's been converted to Christ, and then he's going to get introduced to the disciples, the followers of Christ, and no one believes him. They all think he's faking it. They think he's a spy. Well, they're not sure. He does have a story. He's got a testimony, and he did go to the house of the tanner, and all that took place in Joppa, but it sure is, you know, I don't know. I can't get past this, and there was a lot of whispering going on behind his back. I don't know. What do you think? But then there was uh, Joseph, who was known as the son of encouragement. He's the embodiment of encouragement chip off the uh, virtue of encouragement. And he comes in in Acts chapter 9 with his words, and instead of joining in in the gossip, the whispering, the speculation, the embellishment, the advancement, and, and, and magnifying glass on Paul's bad past, he looks at what happened to Paul. This is not just brainless. This is an intelligent assessment. And he goes in and he says, I'm not going to engage in the gossip behind his back. I'm going to encourage. And his words end up being the bridge to get Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, to get introduced to the people he would lead. It was it was monumental. It was a turning point in the book of Acts. And it all came down to one guy who was committed to, to encouragement. We meet again in chapter 11. Barnabas playing a critical role when everyone was freaking out about Gentiles flooding into the Jewish church. And he stands as an encourager saying things that are different than what everybody else is saying. It's positive. It's, 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 it's right. It's good. It affirms what's good. It looks over the scandal and 
he plays a critical role. And if you really want to round it out, you can look at what he does in Antioch, what he does in chapter 13, what he does in, at the Jerusalem Council in chapter 15. There are at least four major situations, Acts 9, Acts 11, Acts 13, and Acts 15, where Barnabas is the pivotal character. He plays a critical role just by being an encourager. Is that at all beckon you to, to think about what you can do with your words that can change them? I mean, Barnabas, well, you're not going to read any great sermons from Barnabas, you know? You're not going to hear the, the wonderful the prophetic ministry of Barnabas, but what you will know is that predicated on a guy who was committed to saying encouraging things was the ministry through the Apostle Paul, through the Jerusalem Council, through Peter, through, through all of these guys who made a huge difference for Christ, through Timothy, because one guy was committed to saying things that didn't join in with the rest. He was an encourager. Harness the power of your words for good. How about this in chapter 15? Maybe you can just focus on being this kind of person. I know we always look at this as a one-on-one -on -one conflict, but look at verse 1 of, of chapter 15. A soft answer turns away wrath, but, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This is Proverbs 15.1. A soft word. I like the way it's translated there. It, it, it's a different kind. It's a different category of word. It comes in and diffuses the situation because it's of a whole different nature. And there are people like that who in the midst of a conflict can come in with the right words and it's calming. It, it brings a peace to the situation. How about verse 2? The tongue of the wise. Here's another way we can, we can harness words for good. Commends knowledge. But the mouth of the fool, well, it's just spouting forth. It's pouring out folly. Mouth of the fool. Commends knowledge. Commends knowledge means you've got someone who purposely, thoughtfully says something that affirms something that is true and, and, and good and right. I know people like that in the midst of a situation just bring our, our minds back to the cross, that our sins were paid for completely on the cross, that I'm guilt-free. That may seem unrelated to a lot of things, but that commending of knowledge in a situation can go a long ways. Just someone to step up and remind us of something that is true, that is right, that is virtuous, that is wholesome, that's worthy of praise, that's admirable. You know what I'm talking about now, right? Philippians 4. We need to get our minds on those things, and occasionally it's really good to be the person that's saying those things. You're listening to Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares and a message called Managing Your Emotions and Taming Your Tongue. Now, if you missed any of the previous messages in this series, you can easily go back and listen online at focalpointradio.org. We hope you've benefited from Pastor Mike's Bible teaching on Focal Point, and we hope you'll agree that clear, accurate biblical teaching is exactly what's needed in today's mixed-up society. But to keep the Focal Point ministry going strong, we need your help please make a generous donation to this ministry. And when you give, we'll send you Pastor Mike's brand new book titled Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had. Today's the last day of the month, so make your request right away when you get in touch. Our phone number is 888-320-5885 or contact us online at focalpointradio.org. And if you're not quite ready to give just yet, we'd still like to hear from you. This month, listeners who contact Focal Point for the first time can receive a CD copy of Pastor Mike's message called Envy, A Private But Disruptive Sin. To get your free gift, contact us at focalpointradio.org. Now, before we wrap up, here's Pastor Mike with a special announcement. Hi, Pastor Mike Fabar is here. In the summer of 2024, I'll be teaching the Bible on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. I want you to come with me. 
from August the 4th through August the 11th, 2024. We're going to discover the splendor of God's word while we explore the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Join us for world-class dining, daily teaching, worship. It'll be an unforgettable experience. So don't wait to book your spot. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska to learn more. Get more information about how you can join Pastor Mike in Alaska at focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. As you read the Gospels, you're bound to encounter the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But who were they and why were they so opposed to Jesus? Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us tomorrow when Pastor Mike explains what they believed and how they are surprisingly similar to people we still meet today. That's coming up on the next edition of Ask Pastor Mike, Friday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash pastormike or twitter.com slash pastormike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.